Thanks, James, and good morning to you all. Uh, as mentioned, we're going to be touching on the important topic of Christ at the centre of our money. And to that end, we're going to look at uh, three things. Uh, firstly, God, uh, money as God. Uh, then secondly, God is generous. And then finally, uh, generosity itself. So firstly, uh, money as God. In the uh, recent KFC ad, uh, it's got a catchy and funny slogan, shut up and take my money. I reckon that's kind of an unspoken pandemic motto because uh, Aussies, we've been spending big uh, these days where most of us are. And that's in lockdown, right at home. Do you know there's been a whopping increase of about 25% on furniture sales, which is understandable, right? Uh, if you spend more time on the couch, well, you may as upgrade, upgrade it to a, a, a nice swanky one. Uh, working from home, new desk, please. Commuting less, sleeping more, well, new mattress, thanks. And we've spent big on electronics. Uh, the family up, uh, TV's got an upgrade, new tablets and, and, to- and laptops for homeschooling, that next stint of homeschooling, of course, and a PlayStation or after school, naturally you need that. Uh, and then there's been home renos. Uh, since March last year, we've spent at least an additional $300 million every month on hardware and building supplies. We've spent more, more money improving and upgrading and expanding the, ha- the family home. Paint job, tick. New kitchen, tick. Uh, media room, double tick. Uh, even the clothing se- sector has increased over the pandemic. Quite simply, there isn't a single retail sector that isn't doing better now than it was before the pandemic. We may not be drinking our lockdown problems away, although some may, but many more of us are taking a good deal of retail therapy. We're obsessed with lifestyle and luxury lifestyle. Uh, And although there were some who've lost their jobs, jobs during the pandemic and are doing it really tough, in a survey released last month, uh, we see 89% of Aussie incomes are expected to stay the same or to increase. Uh, we've got a lot of disposable income and we're happily disposing of it in retail therapy. Many are looking for a cure to their lockdown blues and they're looking for that in buying stuff. And it doesn't look like that trend is going to let up anytime soon. In the same survey, 93% of, uh, of us Aussies expect our household spending to either stay the same or to increase. And if the pandemic slows down and countries open up, Uh, Just shy of 50% of us plan to travel or further renovate our homes. Just those two items. We love to spend on luxuries. In his excellent book, uh, Bullies and Saints, John Dixon puts the brakes on any who are quick to condemn people of the past because it assumes uh, that we're not caught up in bad things we're presently blind to, that perhaps later generations could condemn. Uh, Speculating, uh, for instance, when he writes... When new systems are developed to eradicate eradicate poverty, uh, say, will our descendants pour scorn on us for expecting to live like kings and queens, literally better than the most than most kings and queens of history, while hundreds of millions starved? Is it possible we've got a blind spot uh, when it comes to our affluent lifestyle? Uh, that time may tell. Now, this isn't to say that luxury items are bad, uh, but the amount Aussies spend on them hints at what we love the most, what we worship, which Jesus says rivals God. 
uh, when he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, which is a translation of the word mammon. And that's a a catch-all term for resources, money, property and possessions. For Jesus, mammon is clearly a rival to God, a rival for our heart and for our love, a rival that the vast majority of our society adore. And to love mammon, you know what that's called? That's greed. So it wouldn't be a stretch to say our society is greedy. But would you say you're greedy? I'm sure you have moments uh, when you're aware you've done or said something wrong and you thought, I need to stop that. But when was the last time you thought, I spend too much money on myself? Greed, that's my problem. Could we have a blind spot when it comes to our wealth? And why is that? Maybe because we live in a particular socio-economic bracket. Uh, We're surrounded by enough people who have more money than us and we compare ourselves to them and not to the rest of the world and end up saying, oh, well, we're not greedy. We don't have as much as stuff as them. But we're still happy to uh, let the multiple monthly subscriptions tick over and order takeaway every other night and upgrade to the next iPhone as soon as it comes out and buy brand name shoes. Another reason for our blind spot uh, might be that we think our lifestyle should be governed by our salary. We think that a 50k salary should be matched by a 50k lifestyle and a 100k salary by a 100k lifestyle. And so when we get that promotion or our salary goes up or we get a little bit more money somehow, well, we, we have more money, so we just spend it. We upgrade the computer, the car, the couch, uh, the house. We buy that, that bigger, better toy because we can, so we do. And a final reason for our blind spot might be because we live in a society that's full of advertising, uh, appealing to our greed, and we end up thinking, yeah, I never really thought I needed that nifty gizmo or gadget. Or, yeah, who would have thought that I need that complete set of whatever it is? But apparently I do. And it works all the time. I bet you'll make a purchase today on the basis of of its advertising. Because when it comes to wealth and possessions and stuff, we we struggle to see through the greedy haze. And so we buy what we're told we can't live without to have what we didn't need before. And it is constant, from the letterbox to the TV to the banner ads on YouTube or on our Facebook or uh, when you do a Google search to the jingles on radio to the product placement in your favourite films. And it's all there to appeal to our greed, to excite our love for mammon. And to think that we're immune to these, well, that's that's naive. It's the air that our society breathes. Everyone around us, if they're not hankering after stuff, they're worrying that they don't have enough of it. And so we should listen to Jesus when he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance in an abundance of possessions. For us, rich Christians here in Australia, the assumption should be that greed could be a problem for us. And a simple way to see if it is, is to ask yourself the question, how much money do I give away? Cold, hard, objective fact. How much money do you give away? Because the logic is simple. A greedy person loves money and stuff. They're eager for money, and so they're going to hold on to their money with really tightly clenched hands. Uh, The non-greedy person is the person who does not love money and stuff. 
is not eager for money, and so they're going to have a much looser grip on their wealth. So how much money do you give away? We need to be honest about this and take it seriously, as Jesus does when he tells the story of a man worrying over what to do with his wealth. So he builds bigger, better barns to store all his grain and goods, saying to himself, well, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So, how might we be rich toward God and avoid the catastrophe of loving mammon more? How do we keep Christ at the centre of our money? Which brings us to the second point, God's generosity. God is generous and we need to be captivated by that. As the Apostle Paul says of rich Christians, they're to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's worth savouring that last little bit there. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The riches that we enjoy, Paul says they come from the kind and generous hand of God who is generous and kind. Do you believe that? God wants us to enjoy the wealth that we've got. We don't need to feel guilty or somehow less spiritual for enjoying our wealth. God's not stingy. He is the one who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And this picture of God as generous and kind is how the Bible pictures God from beginning to end. But from very early on, we've been lied to. It started with the devil questioning the woman in the garden. Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Now, there's an accusation in that question. Can you hear it? Is the accusation... God's pretty stingy, isn't he? Clearly he's keeping something from you. You can't be that generous if he says you can't eat from any tree in the garden. And tragically, humanity fell for that lie. They listened to the accusation. They chose to get the good out of life their own way. Unwittingly, they they turned to mammon instead of God. And as a result, they lost their place in paradise. They fell for the lie that God is stingy, that he can't be trusted to bless them. And people have been falling for that lie ever since. We all fall for it now, which is often why we turn to mammon. But it's a lie. The truth is that God is a generous God. He gives and he gives and he gives until finally he gave us the most valuable thing, his only son, Jesus, who makes us unbelievably rich. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Before he came as the man Jesus, what did God's son have? He was with the father, his father in glory. He had literally everything. You you can't get more wealthy. You can't get richer than that. And yet, though he was that rich, for our sakes he became poor. He left his father's glory. He clothed himself in a bag of wet flesh. He he suffered the scorn of those that he created. He suffered the shameful death of death on a cross. Everything was taken from him. His glory, his power, his dignity, the breath of life itself. He became this poor for our sake so that through his poverty we might become rich. And how rich, how rich do you think that is? 
to be forgiven and reconciled to God himself. More than that, surely the riches are something like what Jesus had before he became poor, being with the Father in glory, being intimate friends with God now and forever. That's what God's given us. And that's where our hungry hearts will find true satisfaction and contentment and rest, particularly when mammon comes knocking on the door of our heart, as the writer of Hebrews uh, can say, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God knows we'll never be content with the love of money because money can't promise to always be there for us, not in this life, certainly not in the next. Not like God, who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Our restless hearts will only truly be content with God. It's interesting, in the book Affluenza, Clive Hamilton and his mates, they helpfully critique Australia's unhealthy materialism. But... Their suggested cure in that book is firstly a Buddhist-like detachment from possessions and from stuff and then to invest in relationships, family, friends and community. But sadly, that solution is going to be just as deadly as the love of stuff because unlike God, our friends, our family, our community, they just can't say, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you because they will, every single one of them. To look to them for lasting contentment, ultimately that's as hopeless as looking to our wealth. Only God can say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's why Paul can say it's godliness with contentment that's great gain. Not just contentment. God, our generous God, is the secret source in contentment. Because in Christ, on top of all the good things in this age that he's given us, we know him and have him as our Father now and forever. God is mind-blowingly generous and kind to us. Which brings us to the last point. In how it is that Christ can be at the centre of our money in the light of God's generosity and is to be generous. As Paul says to rich Christians like us, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Rich Christians are to be generous generous and willing to share. And not just because we're told to, but because it's an investment in our eternal future in the coming age of life to the full. From the perspective of eternity, no one is going to say, If only I'd kept that money or that wealth uh, or those things to myself. Nobody's going to say that. It'll be the opposite. They'll be saying, thank God I invested in what I'm enjoying now. Uh, Being generous is an investment in our forever future, and so it's a joy. But how much should we give? Well, that's between you and our generous God, as Paul says elsewhere. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, many Christians down through the years have thought that God wants us to give 10% of our income, what's called a tithe. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were expected to give a tenth of their income towards God's work. But a tithe isn't mentioned anywhere in the New Testament as something that Christians should do. 
because a tenth of your income, it's not the formula for giving to God's work anymore. There's a new formula. It's the Jesus formula. How does that go? Well, how should we give? How much should we give then? Well, we should consider the generosity of Jesus and then give. Now, at this point, we might get nervous because is there any limit on how much we uh, we give? The bar is so high with Jesus, should we keep anything? Well, generosity isn't the same as being foolhardy or irresponsible. All of us have financial responsibilities that God calls us to, like looking after our immediate family and paying taxes. And we can't give from what we don't have, which is what Paul tells the Corinthian Christians at the time, saying it was to be according to their means, where he writes, For if the willingness is there... The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Like the Christians then, we're to give according to our means, in line with our income, for the sake of equality. Are we to be generous? Absolutely. Are we to be irresponsibly generous, if you can say that? No. We're to be generous according to what we've got. That means the more money we earn, the more generous we can be. If you earn 10000 uh, a year, it may be impossible for you to give 10%. But if you earn 100000 a year, uh-huh, 10%, you may not even notice. We're to generously give from what we have, not from what we don't have. And as we look to calculate this, Paul says it's to be a joy. He writes, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're to be sincerely, uh, give, we're to give sincerely and cheerfully. No one can tell you how much you should give. You've got to decide that in your own heart. And we can be cheerful about it when we do because we don't need to be afraid. God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We won't go without. So we don't need to be afraid to be generous. Delight in God's fatherly care for you. He'll look after you. But what or who do we give to? Well, to start with, the needy. We read in the letter of James, uh, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Orphans and widows, they're examples of the most vulnerable and easily distressed and so the most needy. And James says, pure religion, pure gold, godliness, is to look after them by giving them money. And there's plenty of needy people to give to. And it's made easy to give by the many reputable charities online these days. But we need to bear in mind, firstly, the needy in the church family. As Paul writes elsewhere, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As we look to do good and be generous towards those in need, as members of God's family, we're to prioritise giving to those who are fellow believers, which makes sense, uh, really. It's right and proper that family looks after its own first. And so in giving to the needy, our particular focus should be to the family of believers. So let's keep our ears and our eyes open for the needy, and the needy in our own church family, and further afield. 
Our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan at the moment are in desperate need. I know organisations like Barnabas Fund and Voice of the Martyrs are currently taking donations to help them. But then we need to focus, uh, narrow our focus again to give towards gospel ministry because we know the greatest ongoing need in the world is people hearing about Jesus and growing in their knowledge of him as faithful gospel workers preach and teach the gospel, uh, particularly teaching elders. As uh, Paul writes, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. As a teaching elder faithfully teaches God's people, God's people are to support him uh, financially. And it's the same with missionaries. Churches supported the Apostle Paul and others in missionary work. That's right. That's good. God's people need to be giving to gospel ministry. Now, as a teaching elder, I'm not here asking for more money for myself or for James. Our rated pay is set by our denomination, and that's a very helpful thing, and we're very thankful for being provided for. But it's important to remember there's a link between making Jesus known and the church being what she's meant to be, in large part, as godly and capable teaching elders and gospel workers lead the charge in upholding, protecting and proclaiming the gospel. So when it comes to teaching elders and gospel workers, the world needs more. We need more. You want to see more people being saved and growing in Jesus, then invest in teaching elders and gospel workers, like kids' church workers and communications coordinators. And keep investing. We're to support the work of gospel ministry as it happens in person and online. That's got to be our primary focus in our giving. And that's why I reckon uh, our giving in large part should be to our church family as we do gospel work here and help it flourish further afield through the missionaries and missionary organisations that we're linked in with. The world will support relief organisations at least a little bit, but the world won't support the preaching and teaching of the gospel, so we must. So in wrapping up, as rich Christians, we need to watch out for all kinds of greed, that we're not loving mammon more than God, and consider afresh the incredible generosity of God to us in Jesus. And then, if we don't already, let's plan to regularly do a budget and be intentional in our response to God's great generosity to us and figure out how much we're going to give, who to, and how we're going to do it. And as we do, maybe consider this practical suggestion that I heard from someone a while ago. Maybe plan... Uh, to be as generous to others as you are luxurious to yourself. So as you think about praying for that thing you want, go ahead, buy it and enjoy it. But as you do, maybe send the same amount to the needy or set it aside for church or for a missionary. It might cost you twice as much to enjoy these things, uh, those things, but you'll end up laying up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age and actually taking hold of the life that is truly life. And that's not only smart, it's a gift from God and a joy to unwrap. So as we look to keep Christ at the centre of our money, let's consider the generosity of Jesus and then scheme and plan and enjoy being as generous as we can, uh, as we possibly can be. And I'm going to pray to that end now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your incredible 
generosity to us in Jesus, that he was willing to become poor for our sakes so that we might become incredibly rich, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. From that store of wealth and riches, help us to be generous, to be content with what you give us and then generous with what you give us in response to the riches that we have in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.